very pleased to welcome Sharon Smith from University of Kent, who will be talking about the Higher Education Access Tracker. Thank you, Penny. Um, well, I'm really pleased to say that I think there's been a good foundation for my talk today because um, from the very first introduction that Penny made talking about the complexities of evaluation and demonstrating impact, um, Anna Bennett's quote and the difficulties that we all face as researchers, um, and then of course with Neil's talk, I was nodding my head along the way, <laughs> recognising lots of what you were saying as a researcher and demonstrating impact. Um, and in fact, I'm going to be following up a bit on what Neil was talking about in my talk. Um, so HEAT is the acronym for the Higher Education Access Tracker, not the acronym for the Higher Education Audit Team, <laughs> which is not us. We're completely different, I have to say. Um, and what I would like to, to cover in my talk today is just give you a bit of a background on HEAT to set the contact so that you, knew, you know what we're about. But the bulk of my talk is going to be about our data research, and that's um, something we call the HEAT track, and I'll go into that in a bit more detail. I'm also going to share some of the outcomes from that research, so some of the findings that we have looking at individual student outcomes um, of participant level, participants who have engaged in outreach activities over a number of years. And then lastly, I'd like you to consider with me some of the challenges that we all face um, when we're trying to analyse this data, make sense of it, but more importantly, how we're trying to connect the participant participation in an outreach programme, the lives that students have come from or are now going to, and that journey that they take through their educational life. So, HEAT. HEAT was actually... Um, a legacy from AIM Hire days where all the institutions, all the member universities in the South East AIM Hire got together and said let's collaborate to monitor and evaluate the effect of outreach. They recognised very early on that it was a difficult task and they said we shouldn't do it individually, we should do it together. And there were some key drivers for that in that we wanted to minimise duplication, we wanted to share the cost of recording data um, collecting data about participants. But we also knew that there were some real challenges to be faced as researchers in finding some of the answers to our research questions and we thought we could do that collectively rather than individually. Um, and it was a case of us developing a framework for data research. Um, we sat in, in many rooms arguing, I have to say, Rob's laughing because he was actually involved in Empire, having arguments about typologies, talking about what questions you should be asking students and at when you should be asking them, talking about the fact that it's time-consuming, and also talking about the fact that it's, we're going to have to wait a long time for those outcomes to come through. But here we are today with outcomes in front of us. So it was a risk in so many ways for all making that decision to invest in that collaborative service. Key to that is it was developed by the sector and it continues to be developed by the sector. So it's a service with member universities paying equal subscription to that service. We have a central data team who are servicing the needs of those member universities. And what we're trying to do is to shape that service going forward so that we're continually coming out and asking our members, what is it that you want us to do to help you to answer some of those research questions? 
in the very early days, as I said, it was Aim Higher Southeast uh, Universities. By the time we got to the end of Aim Higher, they decided that with the withdrawal of Aim Higher funding, they wanted to keep it going, hence the subscription fee. We then had a number of universities coming in saying, can we join? Um, and unfortunately, without us expanding, we didn't have the investment, we were asking universities to pay a, an annual fee. We didn't have a chunk of money sitting there waiting to invest so that we could scale up. We approached Hefke and made a bid for funding. So in 2012, we had in 13, uh, we approached Hefke and then we were pleased to say they came back and we have a £3 million rollout funding over a three year period. And that's to scale up to introduce more universities to HEAT so that they become members. And today we have around about 40, although it changes every day. Um, our aim is by the end of 2017 to have up to 80 universities across England, all collecting the data, synthesising that data together and contributing to what we hope will be a national ev evidence base for WP. There are seven key outputs to the HEAT service. Again, I mention this all the time, the members decided what those outputs were. The first one being a repository, a web-enabled database that everyone uses, all our members use to collect that data and to standardise the collection of that data. And the other thing I've just been talking to Andrew about at Bath is to clean, help keep that data clean, help keep that robust data in place that we can analyse later. The second one is our heat track. I'm going to talk about that more in a minute. But we also have a range of standard data sets and reports that we generate for the membership. And that's working in the premise that there's no need for everyone to be doing the same work if it can be processed centrally and a team can process data set, data set and make them available to 80 institutions. That's common sense. That makes good use of public money. Similarly, we're aware that the outputs that people want from their data, the reports, fairly generic templates, and we produce those on a central basis, give them to our members. Of course, they own their data. They can do what they want with the data. They can do much more local manipulation. And you have users in your universities who, when they get the data back from here, will do more with it to find out some of the naughtier uh, answers to the questions that they have, Andrew being one of them. Um, and then, of course, there is an advisory capacity because we're all working together and we want to share expertise. So the whole idea is that some members will be talking to other members about what are you doing in your area? Could we collaborate even further? Or can I learn from you and introduce that to my institution as far as monitoring and evaluation? So it's that community of WP researchers working together. As I said before, that HEAT's very much focused on data, the collection of individual participant data. Um, and we've also recognised there's an opportunity for asking common questions around students' aspirations, around their attitudes, around their awareness. So trying to get much more data on that capital that you've been hearing about today. Where a student is before we start work working with them in terms of their understanding, their attitudes to university. Um, and what they bring even before they come to an event, an outreach event. And then lastly, because of the longitudinal na nature where we're tracking these students over time, we have our life cycle monitoring. So the results I'm about to show you later will include destinations results. We have looked at the Delhi data for our students and we can see whether they're in jobs or not um, and which NSSEC group they've ended up in. 
And then uh, in this next year's HESA track, we'll also be looking at postgraduates, whether our students have actually moved on to postgraduate study. So it's longitudinal tracking over, over periods of time. But I'm going to talk more about the participant tracking, and what we call our heat track. So on the left-hand side, what you have is the input for our member universities. We're providing a repository to capture this data. And it includes a number of different metrics, learner characteristics such as gender, ethnicity, um, all those characteristics that our, our member universities will be collecting either through registers, surveys, uh, various other ways, a whole, whole raft of different ways that member universities will collect that data from schools at student level. We also have those attitudinal and aspirational um, data that's been collected mainly through surveys, through whether it's a survey before they come into an outreach activity and then after perhaps when they've participated in outreach um, over time. And then lastly, the last part of that is collecting data on what they actually participate in. Okay? So it's not just one activity, it's whether it's activities over a period of time. So in that sense, it's moving away from talking about outreach activity to outreach experience. Right? Um, and without that systematic collection of data, we will always just go, be going back to activities. Right? Did they attend that activity? Yes. But what else did they attend? We don't know. We have to start thinking about it in terms of the out, outreach experience and how that connects with all of these other features that I have on, on that chart. HEAT then process that participant data and we link it to a number of different administrative data sets at an individual level. So personalised data and we're linking it through the Department for Education to get their attainment data, which as you heard from, from Neil and we know now is really important to understand that context of our learners. Skills funding agency, because many of our learners don't stay on at school they go to further education college and we might work with them in further education colleges, we might not. They might actually study level <coughs> four, they might actually be studying H-E-N-F-E. Um, and so we're linking that data through to the ILR, the individual learner record in FE2. We would link it through to UCAS data individual level, but I think as you heard before, they've now taken away that individual track uh, level from us not taking it entirely away, that's unfair. They do have a product where they'll give you back summary data for a cohort that will say X percent of your cohort applied, <coughs> X percent of your cohort that are female applied. <coughs> that's, that's useful, but what we want to do is we want it at individual level because we want to know that Joe applied, but he didn't accept. But oh, he popped up later in the ILR and he actually went through and did level three, not level four non-prescribed learning in the ILR. We wouldn't know that unless you've got an individual track. And I think what I'm trying to, to do today is to give you a sense of this is a journey that students are taking and they're not all taking the same journey. And we need to be finding out what journey it is that they're, they're all taking as individuals. But we work very closely with, with HESA um, so we do have entrant data. So we know that our students came into um, university, we know what they're studying, we know where they went to study, we know whether they achieved, whether they got a good degree, <coughs> and then ultimately their destination if they come through on the Delhi survey. So it's that longitudinal tracking through agencies that we're doing centrally. There's no point everyone doing all this individually. It's a central service that, that tracks this cohort of learners at individual level. So as you can see, a very rich data set. And of course, context is everything. I see it all the time. 
we need to understand the interplay between all of those different metrics that we've got on that slide and how they connect together. But ultimately, it's about how outreach impacts upon those. Just very quickly, we fuzzy match. So if you, as you all know, there is no such thing at the moment as that individual identifier that a student has at primary school and it follows them all the way through. So they've got one number in all the administrative data sets. Um, until that comes through, we fuzzy match and HESA have developed um, and of course have to use the same methodology when they look at administrative data sets where the, the, the key data that you need is the full name, the postcode and the date of birth. Okay, That's the four minimum pieces of information that you need to track learners through all of those data sets that I talked about earlier. Knowing which school they were at helps, because that's another verification um, that it's a student at the same school. Um, similarly, you know, gender can help, because if you've just got the initial, for example, and then you've got the surname, so, so gender could be another. Um, so we've got a fairly good confidence rating now that those students that we've tracked are the same students. Okay? And those are the results that we will report back, are those confident levels of where we're fairly or, or have good confidence that it's the same student. So, actually, I'm just missing a bit of my, one of my slides, so you'll bear with me. You've got a couple of slides on here. I'm sorry, I picked up Rob, the original one there. Never mind. That <laughs> yeah. um, you don't have on your handout because I added them in late. Who does that? <laughs> add them in before you send them to someone to, to print them off and but they will be in an electronic version I wanted to use them to illustrate uh, the complexity that we're talking about and I always say that when, if you want to undertake longitudinal tracking you need three qualities as research teams patience you're going to have to wait for it but we can't make it through come any quicker perseverance it is time consuming, it needs to be systematic, it needs to be clean, it needs to be robust. You need commitment from your institution that we're going to have to have a resource for this to be able to collect this data. And then lastly, you do have to be pragmatic. It has to be practical, it has to be something that your schools will work with to collect the data with for you in the first place. And you as researchers and teams within WP um, teams in the university have to take a pragmatic approach about how you're going to use that data. The main thing to remember is it's that journey that you're trying to collect data for. At the point of outreach, and that might be primary school, we've heard how really important it is to get students early. You're then collecting the nuances of what they've been attending. It might not be one activity, it could be 15, 16, 17 activities over, over time. Some students don't stay in secondary, they go into further education. Students move along the path at different times. And if you deliver outreach to students in year nine, you're going to wait five to six years before you get the data and that's because they're age ready, they're 18. What if they don't come into higher education at 18? What if they came in at 20, at 21? So you're going to have to wait and that's where the patience comes in. 
Just going back to that slide, it went too quickly, I need to slow it down while I'm talking. Um, the higher education and beyond, the Delhi data, we're now talking eight, nine, ten years time before you might start. So that's where patience, perseverance and being pragmatic for longitudinal tracking comes in. There is nothing you can do without those. You need that approach to evaluation. I wanted to reinforce that by just giving you, showing you um, two students out of our heat track. The student at the top first participated in outreach at year 11. We saw him coming in at year 11. It's the first time we saw him in the track. His first generation HE said that neither of his parents had an HE background. Quintile 2, polar. He was low attaining at Key Stage 4. He didn't get five GCSEs, including English and Maths. But he wanted to go to university. So he said, I really want to go to university and I want to do this. We told him that. We can see it in his survey data. At the bottom, we have another student who first participated in Year 9. Also WP in terms of first generation HE, quintile one, but a high attaining key stage four student. She got, I think it was seven GCSEs, uh, including English and maths. So different in terms of the academic capital that they, they, they have here. No aspiration to go to HE. Her survey said, I don't want to go to university. It's not for me. Okay. That's what we're working with. This is not a mono WP at that homogenous group of students. We're working with students for different capital. They come in, whether it's academic capital, social capital, their aspirations are different. And then we're delivering outreach to those students. And we need to track that to be able to make sense of it. The top student had eight activities. We can see six master classes, a campus visit, summer school. The bottom student had 10. A different mix, some attainment raising, there were quite a few master classes, mentoring sessions and one visit. Different outreach experience, you might argue. Some similarity, similarities but differences. The top student left school at 16 without their five GCSEs, including English and Maths, and went to FE and actually did a BTEC in public services. We found that out when we tracked them through the FE dataset. The bottom student stayed on at the same school at sixth form. Both of them went and got the degrees. Now that is what we're getting from the heat track. We're getting a story of two students that were targeted by their schools, put forward for outreach because they were WP. But they're different, aren't they? They're different in terms of their aspiration. One wanted to go, one didn't. They were different in terms of their attainment. So... I'm just going to go on now to show you some of our outcomes, but I'm going to go back to that sense of looking at individuals and, and, and how we, we, we want to try and unpick that a bit more. We've, we, we did a pilot with the Department for Education where we sent, it was around about 2,000 students they linked for us in our heat track. We just wanted to see if it would work, how much work it would take for them to do it. You know, it's a free service, but they worked with us and said, yeah, send the data through and we'll link it and we'll give you all the students' attainment data. The other thing is they give you everything. You get the whole lot of the attainment data back for those individuals. So we wanted to try and pick out what metrics we thought would be important for our members that would be useful <coughs> to look to see, is there a link of how outreach might contribute to, and I use that term quite loosely, attainment. So we knew we'd worked, worked with each of those participants well before they got to year 11. 
Okay, so we can see that we had delivered activities to, to them from an earlier year group, but varied. Some were year seven, year eight, year nine. In the schools, um, so the national average of uh, students in 2010-11, which was where this cohort were from, uh, was 55% achieved that five GCSEs, including English and maths. That's the national average. In our heat schools, it's lower, not surprising. We work with low-performing schools. It was 46% in our heat schools. That's the schools that these students came from in this cohort. When we looked at the heat student average, in fact, it turned out that 68% of them achieved the five GCSEs, including English and maths. So we know that those students that we worked with had a higher performance at GCSE compared to the school average. We unpicked it a bit more and we looked at just with a focus on English and it's this progress me measure that head teachers tell us that's the thing that we're much more interested in. We're much more interested in the distance travelled and whether we're helping students to meet the expected progress and it uses Fisher Family Trust and, and other data to see are they meeting what they would be expected to meet. Looks at the difference between Key Stage four, 2 and Key Stage 4. Our heat students, 73% of them, <laughs> did achieve that expected level of progression and that was higher than the non-heat students from those schools at 63%. So another good outcome. And then lastly we looked at the attainment cap score for our heat cohort. All the students in our heat schools it was 328. The non-participants in our heat schools it was 312 and our heat participants 356. They're what I call positive outcomes but there's still a lot of questions around that. There's still a lot to be said about the fact that those non-participants in heat schools aren't on our database, but did they actually benefit from being in a school where our university's coming in week in week and delivering a whole raft of activities? I would argue yes, but how do you measure that if you're not tracking those non-participants? Um, there's questions to be asked about, okay, would those participants have got there anyway? So what we're now doing is we're going to be getting that data for our whole cohort and we're going to be trying to look at the links between what they participated in. So was it mentoring? Was it masterclasses? Was it that whole intensive, what we call intensive delivery? Or was it just one of HE talks? So it's that articulation between their outreach experience and these is the next stage of our track. Um, so we're just waiting for that to come through from the Department for Education and really excited because I think without attainment data, we'll never crack this. And you'll see why in a minute. Um, the next set of outcomes is to show you our track looking through to did they come into university or not and what happened to them when they were in university. Um, our last track that we sent through to HESA was around about 40-odd thousand participants. So it's not a small sample um, across mainly that, that those, those original member universities that have been participating in HEAT for a, a number of time. I'm using Polar as that metric for looking at WP because it was available for all of our students, although we did have first generation HE and, and some free school meal data in there too. Um, so remember, those students who are in Polar Quintile 1 and Quintile 2 come from an area of educational disadvantages and they're less likely Student young people in that area are much less likely to come into higher education. So the heat progression rate for quintile 1 and quintile 2 participants was 32% and that compares to 25% for the national average. So more of our students were coming in um, to higher education than their peers nationally. 
we also found that when we looked at that experience and we, we classified it in terms of very simply in the first instance low intensity and high intensity that students who'd attended high intensity outreach events they included in summer school there had to be master classes in there a couple of HE talks um, a visit to university so that's what we called high intensity were more likely than those students who'd been on a low intensity which was an HE awareness talk a visit um, no summer schools would be in there, no master classes. So we're trying to make sense of that experience in order to interpret the progression of our students. <coughs> and then when we looked at the students who um, entered for a first degree, we found that 84% achieved their first degree. Okay. So this was evidence coming through where, I don't know in your own universities, but in some universities I've heard them say, well, it's all very well getting them in, but what happens when they get here? And are we setting them up for failure because they're not necessarily coming in with the same cultural and social capital that help them to acculturate um, in the same way as, as students from other groups come? Um, so we found measurable, uh, favourable outcomes there, 84% compared to 82% nationally. And a 64% good degree outcome for a cohort compared to the national of 65%. So we have that for each of the individuals we've got that data. We also wanted just to look at, oh, and that's the, the top, the 62% and the 60% is where we just took out those students who were in quintile 1s and quintile 2s, a subgroup, just to look to see, okay, if you're from those very low participation groups as a proxy for disadvantage, are you less likely to get a good degree than students from quintile four and quintile five? And we found that for our group who participated in outreach that live in quintile one and quintile two, 62% got a good degree, a first or a two one, compared to lower 60% nationally. And this last two figures is something new for HEAT we wanted to try and look at this notion of distance travelled, social mobility, um, and so we, NSSEC, it's not a perfect metric, we all know that, but it is available through obviously UCAS application for a sub uh, a cohort of students. We could see from the Delhi data, the destinations data, that 79% of the HEAT participants that came through higher education ended up in NSSEC 1 to 3. But when we look to see what was their starting NSSEC classification, that's the, based on their parent. So it's the one that they put down in their UCAS application, that they say their parent's occupation. And then what do they end up with their own occupation after they've graduated and after they're in employment? 77% have moved from the lower socioeconomic groups of 4 to 8 up to the higher socioeconomic groups of 1 to 3. That really surprised us that it was that high, okay? and it's a considerable cohort. Um, we're going to do a bit more work with NSSEC. We're not entirely happy, as I'm sure none of you are, that anyone's tried to collect that data and its reliability. But it's the first time. We don't have any comparators, because I don't think there's anything out there. But it's the first time we've actually been able to see movement, I think, across, across our group of students. So I've given you um, some of our outcomes, I've shown you, and there's a whole raft of reports available on, on the outcomes. We produce a national report for HEAT. It will be on the website so that you can see. And each of our members have their own results. 
and then we collate that and we produce the national, uh, what we call our national report, but representative of our membership at that point in time. Um, I think we've come a long way since 2004 when we sat in a room arguing over activity typology and whether it would ever be possible to collect individual participant data and everyone would wait for it. Um, so clearly we have come a long way, but we still have some, some challenges as researchers because aside from some of those outcomes there, we're always asked questions is, but what's the magic experience that you should give to a student? to get them to tipping point that tips them over and says, yeah, I want to, I've, had, I've got the eureka moment, I want to go to university now. Where should we spend our money? You know, if the pot, the, the outreach pot's going to be gradually diminishing, what should we be focusing on? Where should we be putting our outreach funds? Because it has the bigger effect. We're asked these questions all the time as, as univer member universities of HEAT. And of course, what we're saying is, it's just not that simple, surprise, surprise, because of what I've been trying to tell you. There are so many variations in individual track data. What is intensive for one student might not be intensive enough for another student, depending on that capital that I talked about. You may have, we've had feedback, I don't know if anyone else in here at WP, where they say, it was too much, it put me off. So there's that, it's that outreach experience, is it right for that individual? And of course that has different effects and impact on the individual because they've got different starting points. They might be WP, they might be for all free school meals, but they've still got different starting points in terms of the capital that they come into outreach with. And we need to know what that is if we want to understand what happens to them and whether we think that the outreach that we've delivered to them in that journey has had an effect. So I was really pleased to see the work that Bath have been doing when they've been looking at their evaluation framework, starting to think about how we can make sense of all the capital, but how we can collect the data on that too. We can't get it uh, through the administrative data sets. We can get some of it, we can get the proxies, but we also need to go back to looking and asking students about their capital in terms of their attitudes, their awareness, their, their aspirations, and some of that qualitative data that we can, we can collect, that we can then combine with the quantitative data that will help us to interpret the findings. Because that's really, we have the findings here, we've got the rich data set, how do we then interpret it? And what we're doing, doing now with, um, with this heat track is we've got a classification system that we're proposing to the membership. Hopefully it's not too complex, but it is another diagram for you. We need to start thinking about a classification to understand our students in terms of their characteristics, in terms of their capital, and in terms of their att attainment. Without all of those, we're going to be missing a key part of the jigsaw when we want to try and interpret the findings. So we put the two into two groups at the moment. Aspiration, we've got a question mark there. Is that the right, the right terminology for it? But it's basically about social and cultural and, and um, economic capital, the backdrop within which the student's coming in to um, outreach. And then in addition to that is this academic attainment. We need that data to understand where the student's coming from. And those drivers that they have at a very young age, whether it's age 11, as we said before, 
or age 16 when they're sitting their GCSEs. We need that data to understand what's happening to those students. And of course, we're starting to get that get through that now. So we are testing, as you can see for, for, for the, um, the left hand here, we're testing the proxy indicators that come through through postcode. The Department of Education can tell us whether the student was free school meal. We've got their survey data on whether they're first generation HE. We're looking at social demographic data. We've got data coming out of our ears trying to understand what this capital is for students. We'll then have attainment data. We want to look at school context, which we think is really important. That gap analysis that Richard was talking about, that HEFGE, where, you know, are students more or less likely to be going into higher education uh, depending on their GCSE attainment? It's a really, really interesting question. But it's probably the interplay, isn't it, between these and these two that's leading to those gaps. And then lastly, in here, how, does those, how do those interplay with outreach and what the student outreach experience is and what happens to them in progression? So some really, really big, big questions there. We're going to classify our students initially in terms of four groups and test out some of that heat track data that we have and some of the outcomes and whether this works for us so that we know why that student that I talked about that didn't get his five GCSEs, including English and Maths, and went on and did the BTEC at, at further education, can we see that looking at this classification? And was do we think that it was outreach that made the difference? Um, so I think I've probably described to you quite a, quite a complex classification system, but the reason that we feel much more confident about this now, and we have shared it with the analytics team in Hefke, who are thinking along the exact same lines, is because we know the data's there now, we've actually got it, so we can test it out, can't we? We put them into these systems and test it. So I just wanted to end by um, saying that we are a community in HEAT, and we really, really welcome everyone's input. I think I looked through the list and I can see that probably the majority of you here um, are a HEAT member at university already, or if you're not, I think most of you were thinking about coming in. We've had some discussion. If you don't know who your heat lead is in your university, you can email us and find out. Um, or, you know, please, be, because this data is your university's data. Your university gets it all back. We, we combine it collectively for, the, for the, the big evidence port. But each of you, if you're a member of heat, will have this data somewhere. We want to test out that methodology that I talked about, about the classification of the student, so that we can try and make more confident um, claims about the relationship between participating in outreach and that outreach experience and it leading to an outcome or contributing to an outcome. And we also want to continue to embed this common evaluation framework that, that we're all talking about so that we can synthesise that data coming through, whether it's qualitative data. We've just agreed a set of common questions that our members can use to try and collect some of the attitudinal and aspirational data. So we've all um, said, yeah, if we, if we can find a way to ask students that question before they start outreach, we'll all do that and it will come into the HEAT database. So we can, we can start to get a richer data set there. And that's my email in case any of you have got any great ideas and want to contribute to this um, ongoing methodology. But thank you very much. Mm -hmm.